most of you, I think, know that uh, I am married. Uh, I think I'm, I'm the only priest I know of here in Jacksonville with a wife. So I used to be, uh, used to serve as an Episcopal priest a Protestant, in the Protestant Episcopal Church. I came into the Catholic Church, I was ordained as a Catholic priest. Got a dispensation from Pope Francis to be ordained as a married man. Uh, and I love Melissa. She's a great wife. She is uh, warm. She brings a great welcome to a room. People have an easy time talking with her and connecting to her. Uh, so it's always great to have her around. Uh, today, in our second reading, the book of Revelation, we get an introduction to the wife of our Lord. Who's the wife of our Lord? So in the book of Revelation, we're in chapter 21. I've been doing a, a homily series explaining this book throughout Easter time. We get an introduction to her. We have John, who is the author of the book of Revelation, and this angel takes him up to a high mountain, and he says to him, I'm going to show you uh, the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Christ. He's talking about the church. And so John gets to see, uh, or maybe experience, this vision, we're not sure exactly how it took place, coming down out of heaven, the holy city, Jerusalem. This is the wife of the Lamb, symbolized. And she's beautiful, and she's radiant and attractive, uh, sparkling like a rare jewel, the scripture says. Uh, but then there's some other descriptions that he gives uh, that she, it's, it's tall, has this very tall wall. It's not something you're going to easily scale. And it's all these gates, you know, 12 gates, three on each side. Uh, and, and he says, this is the lamb. This is the wife of the lamb of God coming down out of heaven. So what does this mean exactly? How is this the wife of the lamb? Uh, you know, Revelation can be difficult to understand sometimes. But it really helps us to understand the church, what she is all about. You see, the word revelation, it means unveiling. So the veil gets pulled back on the mysteries of the spiritual world and especially of the church. So today, I would like to explain what this reading means and how it helps us to understand the church. I think this would be especially helpful to those who don't understand the church. There are many people who say, I really like, you know, Jesus, great guy, good teacher, but that whole church thing, that whole organized religion thing, not so much. Maybe you know someone like that. Uh, I would encourage you to listen closely so you can share with them about what the church is like. Maybe you can share this homily. It'll be on the website in a few days here on the St. James Podcast, helping them to understand the beauty, the splendor of the bride of Christ, of the wife of the Lamb of God. So this wife of the Lamb is described in Revelation chapter 21 as beautiful and radiant, like a rare jewel. But as I mentioned before, there's these high walls. These are walls that you're not going to easily be able to scale. I won't be able to scale at all. Because not only does it have these walls, but it has these gates with angels. There's one angel at each of these gates 
This reminds you of the Garden of Eden, that God appointed an angel to guard the gates, Eden being a picture of heaven. Because of sin, Adam and Eve could not re-enter that garden. So we see these angels guarding these gates of this, this great city, the Lamb of, of the, wife, the wife, the wife of the Lamb of God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, these gates, guarded gates, and high walls. Not a particularly easy place to enter. I say this because a lot of people think that entering heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, is easy. Many people think that, you know, as long as you live a halfway decent life, no big deal, you're going to go to heaven. Most everybody goes to heaven. Unless you're a terrible, you know, wicked, evil person, you're going to go to heaven. Don't, you don't need to worry about it. And yet, this picture that we get in the book of Revelation, high walls, guarded gates, not an easy place to get into. According to the saints, many saints teach that there are going to be few that enter heaven. St. John Newman said, Notwithstanding assurance that God did not create anyone for hell, everyone's created for heaven, and that he wishes all people to be saved. He wants you to be in heaven, for sure. It remains equally true that only a few will be saved. Only a few will go to heaven. The greater part of mankind will be lost forever. Doctor of the Church, St. Alphonsus Liguori, wrote something very similar. He says, The common opinion is that the greater part of adults are lost. And many other saints and mystics say the same thing. St. Augustine, St. Jerome, St. John Marie Vianney, St. Benedict, Joseph Labore, St. Philip Neri, St. Teresa of Avila, the Fatima Visionaries, I'm sure I could easily dig up others that say only a few are going to be saved. Our Lord said the same thing. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Our Lord says in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. So this picture that we have of the bride of Christ, the heavenly bride of Christ, is not a place that you just stumble into, that you easily enter. In fact, few go there, according to our Lord, according to the saints. The bride of Christ, yes, she's beautiful and splendid and radiant, But getting there, entering into her, is not particularly easy. And few do it. Heavily guarded, high walls. And yet, there is a sure and certain way of entering that heavenly city. We see this revealed in these symbols in the book of Revelation, in this chapter 21 that we're looking at. So John is seeing this heavenly Jerusalem come down to earth. This is a a picture of uh, the perfect bride of the Lamb that's in heaven, comes down to earth. So it's joined, in a way, with the earthly bride of Christ, that they are one in the same. 
Although this one here on earth might not be quite so perfect. It's being perfected. But we see this heavenly Jerusalem coming down to earth. And John looks at the foundation of this heavenly Jerusalem, the bride of, of Christ, and he sees written on the foundation the names of the 12 apostles. You see, it's these 12 apostles who give permission for one to enter the gates. So there's 12 apostles, there's 12 gates. For the 12 tribes, meaning the fullness of the people of God. The Lord wants everyone to enter. But these apostles, the foundation of this city, are those who are in charge of who will enter. We see this in our Lord's teaching in the scripture. That before he left this earth, before he ascended up into heaven, he gave his authority to enter into that heavenly city. He gave it to the apostles, to the 12 apostles. On numerous occasions, we see examples of this. In John chapter 20, we read about him giving the power to forgive sins. He said to them to receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, whoever sins you forgive will be forgiven. Whoever sins you do not forgive will not be forgiven. This power that he would forgive sins in his name through the apostles gave them that authority. The same thing in Matthew 16 and 18, where our Lord gives first Peter and then the other apostles the power of binding and loosing. He said in, it's recorded in three different gospels, Luke, Matthew, and John. He said to the apostles, he who rejects you rejects me. So he's giving his authority to these apostles. And then most clearly we see it in Luke 22. He says to them, I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we, coming into the church, the twelve meaning the fullness of the church, the fullness of the people of God are part of those tribes that will be judged by those 12 apostles. So these 12 apostles, they are the ones that are in charge of these 12 gates. They are the ones who decide who is going to enter into this uh, heavenly Jerusalem. This is what we see painted in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20 that we're looking at today. So you might be saying, well, you know, that makes sense, but the 12 apostles, they are not here anymore uh, to, you know, to make those calls. And so, so what does that mean today, here and now? This is where we get the church's teaching on what's called apostolic succession. That when our Lord, he gave his authority, he gave authority to the apostles, uh, and then those apostles passed on that same authority to uh, the bishops, to the leaders of the church. In Matthew 28, before our Lord left, he said to the apostles, he said to them, go into the world, baptizing and teaching everything I've commanded you, for surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's giving them the authority to teach in his name, but then he says he's going to be with them to the end of the age. If there was no apostolic succession, then this verse wouldn't, make, wouldn't, wouldn't work because those apostles 
weren't going to live, didn't live until the end of the age. They died, you know, in the, in the first century. They died. But there were others who they would pass on their authority to, who would pass on their authority to our current bishops on down today, meaning that Christ would be with the leaders of the church until the end of the age, with that teaching authority. We see this authority being passed on down uh, in different places in the Scripture. For example, when Peter and the other apostles at the Council of Jerusalem appoint Matthias to replace Judas. So Judas's authority is passed on down to Matthias. We see it in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, when St. Paul, who has appointed Timothy as a bishop, an elder, a leader in the church, and he tells him to also appoint others. So this is this apostolic succession, this authority being passed on down from the apostles to the bishops that's taking place. This is really, really important. It's important today, but it was important back then, especially. Because think about it, up until the year 382, when Pope Damasus brought together the scriptures, there was no authoritative collection that we know as the Bible. And so if somebody was teaching something, you weren't quite sure if it was really the teaching of Christ or not. One of the ways you would, you would uh, determine this is not by going and double-checking in the Bible, because there was no authoritative collection of books, and you probably couldn't read anyway, because most people back then couldn't read. The way that you would determine this, if the person had authority or not, was looking at that person's succession. Who ordained that person? Who ordained that person? Are they able to trace their lineage back to the first apostles, where that authority started? If they were, then you could say, oh, okay, this is a person who stands in true authority, and I can accept these teachings uh, from this person because they, they descend from Christ. This is what's known as apostolic succession. This is what was taught by Irenaeus in the year 189, Tertullian in 200. Cyprian of Carthage writes about it in 253. Lots of evidence of this taking place in the early church. So the sure and certain way of entering those gates is through the apostles, through the authority that Christ gave to those apostles, and through that apostolic authority that continues to be exercised by the bishops of the church. This is why we say in the Creed that I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. This is this authority that's been passed on down. And that is the way, through that apostolic authority passed to the bishops, that you enter into that heavenly Jerusalem. That's the sure and certain way. That's what we see throughout the scripture. That's what we see symbolized in the book of Revelation. This holy city with the foundation of the, with the names of the apostles written on it. They are the ones who determines who goes through those gates. So, uh, the wife of the, of the Lamb of God, she's beautiful and radiant. And yet, there are few that get to enter into this wife, the Lamb of God, into this holy city, Jerusalem. Uh, a person doesn't just stumble in there 
get there accidentally. Uh, but the way to get there is clear in the scriptures. It's by uniting yourself, yes, with Christ, but also with his church. This is his bride. You know, if you were to go up to a man and tell him, you know, I really like you, but I'm rather repulsed by your wife, he probably wouldn't take it very well. So also with Christ, here we are being introduced to his wife, the wife of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. Uh, one that's governed by, by the bishops who have apostolic authority. And Christ says that if you reject them, then you are rejecting him. He's very sensitive about his wife. And so I'd encourage you to stay close to the church. Stay close to the wife of the Lamb of God. Stay close to your bishop. Stay close to our bishops. You know, there's lots of folks, lots of temptations uh, to, to separate yourself. You know, you read things in the media or we have perhaps uh, some not-so-good bishops from time to time or not-so-good priests even that cause division. Yet in spite of those things, this is the church. Uh, this is the wife of the Lamb of God. High walls, guarded gates, but a sure and certain way of entering into that heavenly city, entering into the church. Embrace the church to be embraced by Christ. Amen.